Welcome to A Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode. And before we get into this, let's have a word of prayer so the Lord will be with us as we discuss this topic. So with that, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of the lessons that you teach us and for taking so much time to consider how you would teach us these lessons and how important these lessons are for us in our daily life. We ask that you help us to demonstrate what you want us to be and how you want us to act. Lord, we sometimes fail because we don't go to you. So help us to continue to go to you and ask for your leading and your guidance in our life and for our characters to become more like you every day and in every way. We ask all these things in your precious, holy, wonderful son's name. Amen. So before we get into today's podcast, this is going to be a two-parter because it is quite lengthy and I want to read the whole chapter because it is so important and it's so vital for us still today, which is all of the parables that Jesus taught way back then are still so relevant in today's society, which is amazing. And so I want to talk about who is my neighbor and this is gonna be a really powerful thing for us to read and go over. And the very first thing, as usual, is I want to read the parable itself in Luke 10, 25-37. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and follow along with me if you'd like, or just listen as I read it. So with that, let's get right in. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he, answering, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among the thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. This is a very interesting thing that is happening here in this 
story. First, we have this lawyer who thinks he's going to ensnare Jesus in this question. It's set in a way that he knows what his answer should be or what he hopes it would be. And he was going to say whether Jesus answered one thing or another. But I thought you said to love everybody and didn't you claim that? And so Jesus was very smart as always. So he, instead of answering the question, instead asked him a question. And he asked him what the law said. And of course, and Jesus already knew the answer. And so did the lawyer because he quoted it perfectly from the Old Testament to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and everything you have in you and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer wanting to further trap Jesus because he didn't want to stop there. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? He thought he was being clever here. And he was using his skills as a lawyer to ask the tough questions, or so he thought. And Jesus, once again, instead of giving him a direct answer, he goes into this story about a man who goes on a trip and gets waylaid by thieves and gets stripped down and wounded and just horrible. And he talks about how the very first person on the way is a priest who comes by and he sees the man and he does nothing to help him. Now a priest is like a pastor of our day and age. Imagine a pastor seeing somebody on the side of the road in need of help and you can see them trying to flag down a vehicle and instead of stopping and helping as you would hope some good citizen does, he just keeps on driving and doesn't want to get stopped by because you never know the type of person it could be or you don't want to go out of your way and stop and take up the time that you had or all of the other excuses that you could give. But this priest in particular didn't want to have anything to do with this man who was wounded literally right in front of him and he just literally stepped to the side and went around him and continued on his way like nothing was the matter. I mean, any compassionate person would stop and try to help this person. At least you hope they would. I mean, if you saw that scene in front of you, you would frantically get out your phone and call 911 and if you know CPR, try to perform mouth-to-mouth and CPR on him and all of these life-saving techniques that are really handy and whatever you have on you to help this poor innocent soul. But no, not only does the priest go by him, but a Levite, who is also a very spiritual man, or supposedly a spiritual man. A Levite in those days was somebody, well, their tribe was actually known to help with the sanctuary of doing the services of the sanctuary, of being high priest, of doing the altar calls, of doing those types of things, all ministry work, basically. And so, even that spiritual man, supposedly spiritual man, quote-unquote, he, seeing the man, also looked at him. He looked at him. It says he looked upon him, and then he just passed right on. It's like, oh, oh yeah, that's unfortunate. Okay, gotta go. Bye. Just leave you there. What kind of craziness is that? I mean, that is just so sad that he would just look upon this man who is wounded and sore and probably groaning or or who knows what this poor man is doing on the side of the road. He's clearly beaten up. His clothes are gone. Everything he had on him is taken away from him, and he just passes on by like nothing matters. And then a Samaritan man, this is the third 
colored man comes along. And what's significant about this is that the Jews back in those days had a very long-standing dislike of the Samaritans. They were not somebody that they liked to deal with. And they were basically enemies. So they didn't really do much with them. And Samaritans generally felt the same way. They didn't really talk to one another. They were not people who they got along with. So this Samaritan went out of his way and when he came upon him and saw him, he had compassion and he helped his enemy basically. And he helped a man who was clearly in need of help and he not only helped him, but he went above and beyond the call of duty. He paid for his stay, however long it would take him to recover. He covered the bill. He made sure that he was taken care of. He tended to the wounds himself. And this is just such powerful language, such powerful imagery that we can think about and call upon. And we're going to get more into this story in depth, but that's just a taste of what is to come. And I want to get really deep in this story. And I'm going to read this from Christ Object Lessons. Now, this chapter is quite long, which is why this is going to be a two-part series, but it's going to be really good. We are going to go through this chapter, which is called Who is My Neighbor? And we are going to talk and discuss as we go along and dive right in. So she says this, Among the Jews, the question, who is my neighbor, caused endless dispute. They had no doubt as to the heathen and the Samaritans. These were strangers and enemies. But where should the distinction be made among the people of their own nation and among the different classes of society? Whom should the priest, the rabbi, the elder regard as neighbor? They spent their lives in a round of ceremonies to make themselves pure. Contact with the ignorant and careless multitude they taught would cause defilement that would require wearisome effort to remove. Were they to regard the unclean as neighbors? This question Christ answered in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He showed that our neighbor does not mean merely one of the church or faith to which we belong. It has no reference to race, color, or class distinction. Our neighbor is every person who needs our help. Our neighbor is every soul who is wounded and bruised by the adversary. Our neighbor is everyone who is the property of God. The parable of the Good Samaritan was called forth by a question put to Christ by a doctor of the law. As the Savior was teaching, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The Pharisees had suggested this question to the lawyer in the hope that they might entrap Christ in his words, and they listened eagerly for his answer. But the Savior entered into no controversy. He required the answer from the questioner himself. What is written in the law? He asked, How readest thou? The Jews still accused Jesus of lightly regarding the law given from Sinai, but he turned the question of salvation upon the keeping of God's commandments. I think it's really funny that they were questioning him on the law that he himself wrote, but... <laughs> They still denied the fact that he was, in fact, the son of God. So it's just kind of funny when you think about it, knowing the truth later on. She continues, The lawyer said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Thou hast answered right, Christ said, This do, and thou shalt live. The lawyer was not satisfied with the position and works of the Pharisees. He had been studying the scriptures with a desire to learn their real meaning. He had a vital interest in the matter, and he asked in sincerity, 
what shall I do? In his answer as to the requirement of the law, he passed by all the mass of ceremonial and ritualistic precepts. For these he claimed no value, but presented the two great principles on which hang all the law and the prophets. The Savior's commendation of this answer placed him on vantage ground with the rabbis. They could not condemn him for sanctioning that which had been advanced by an expositor of the law. So it wasn't so much the lawyer who had a problem with Jesus and was trying to entrap him. It was the Pharisees who had suggested that the lawyer ask this question and the lawyer took him up on it. And they were just trying to see what Jesus's answer would be to this question. And it seems like the lawyer was really trying to be discerning and trying to really know the answer to this question. And he wanted to maybe even change based on what Jesus's answer was. He was tired of the ritualistic precepts and the ceremonial laws of just serving. He wanted to serve with love. He wanted to do things right. He didn't want to just follow a bunch of rules. He wanted those rules to have meaning and for love to be behind the action. And he could sense that the value of it wasn't what the priests were making it. The priests were kind of devaluing the wonderful ceremony that the sanctuary message should have been. And they were making it into something that was really not very nice instead. So, the Savior's commendation of this answer placed him on vantage ground with the rabbis. They could not condemn him for sanctioning that which had been advanced by an expositor of the law. This do and thou shalt live, Christ said. In his teaching, he ever presented the law as a divine unity, showing that it is impossible to keep one precept and break another. For the same principle runs through all. Man's destiny will determine by his obedience to the whole law. Christ knew that no one could obey the law in his own strength. He desired to lead the lawyer to clearer and more critical research that he might find the truth. Only by accepting the virtue and grace of Christ can we keep the law. Belief in the probation for sin enables fallen man to love God with his whole heart and his neighbor as himself. The lawyer knew that he had kept neither the first four nor the last six commandments. He was convicted under Christ's searching words, but instead of confessing his sin, he tried to excuse it. Rather than acknowledge the truth, he endeavored to show how difficult of fulfillment the commandment is. Thus, he hoped both to parry conviction and to vindicate himself in the eyes of the people. The Savior's words had shown that his question was needless, since he was able to answer it himself. Yet he put another question, saying, Who is my neighbor? Again, Christ refused to be drawn into controversy. He answered the question by relating an incident, the memory of which was fresh in the minds of his hearers. A certain man, he said, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So Christ gave him an answer, and he didn't like the answer. He wanted to hear a different answer because he didn't like the fact that he might have to admit that he was wrong and then change his ways and basically make a confession that he's been doing things wrong all of these years. And so he tried to deflect and by asking another question. 
And Jesus was very wise in how he handled this instead of berating him or doing any other number of things and arguing with him. He tells this wonderful story that we're going to be going through very carefully. She says, In journeying from Jerusalem to Jericho, the traveler had to pass through a portion of the wilderness of Judea. The road led down a wild rocky ravine which was infested with robbers and was often the scene of violence. It was here that the traveler was attacked, stripped of all that was valuable, and left half dead by the wayside. As he lay thus, a priest came that way. He saw the man lying wounded and bruised, weltering in his own blood, but he left him without rendering any assistance. He passed by on the other side. Then a Levite appeared. Curious to know what had happened, he stopped and looked at the sufferer. He was convicted of what he ought to do, but it was not an agreeable duty. He wished that he had not come that way so that he would not have seen the wounded man. He persuaded himself that the case was no concern of his, and he too passed by on the other side. That is sad, and sometimes that is the case with us. We see what's going on in our life and we see the things that need to be changed but we don't want to do the hard work of getting rid of those things we don't want to do what is necessary whether it's helping other people or getting rid of something in our life we think of excuses of not to do it because we find ourselves in a position that we don't want to be in but we need to take a lesson and not pass by because we can always improve ourselves in situations we need to sometimes do the hard thing and we will be rewarded in heaven by either making the sacrifice or by helping our brother and sister in Christ in a difficult position. And even if that means getting dirty in the process, I'm using this analogy, but Christ used the same analogy. He took this man who is bleeding and broken and probably not looking good and you'd have to get down in the dirt and maybe get blood on your clothes and help this wounded person in order to save him from dying, but this Levite didn't want to do that. He didn't want to get himself dirty. He didn't want to go through all the trouble of helping him, even though he knew it was the right thing to do. So we need to take that to heart and let it be a lesson to us that we don't pass by opportunities of helping people or helping ourselves or getting rid of things in our lives just because it's work and we might get ourselves (laughs) a bit dirty, so to say. And we just need to ask the Lord to lead and guide and direct us. She says, but a Samaritan traveling the same road saw the suffer and he did the work that the others had refused to do with gentleness and kindness he ministered to the wounded man when he saw him he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him and on the morrow when he departed he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when i come again i will repay thee in other words if you have to spend anything more on this man to get him to be better i'll pay you back when i come back this way to go home which is a very generous offer she says this the priest and the levite both professed piety but the samaritan showed that he was truly converted it was no more agreeable for him to do the work than for the priest and the levite but in spirit and works he proved himself to be in harmony with god in giving this lesson christ presented the principles of the law in a direct 
forcible way, showing his hearers that they had neglected to carry out these principles. His words were so definite and pointed that the listeners could find no opportunity to cavil. The lawyer found in the lesson nothing that he could criticize. His prejudice in regard to Christ was removed, but he had not overcome his national dislike sufficiently to give credit to the Samaritan by name. When Christ asked, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? He answered, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Show the same tender kindness to those in need. Thus you will give evidence that you keep the whole law. The great difference between the Jews and the Samaritans was a difference in religious belief, a question as to what constitutes true worship. The Pharisees would say nothing good of the Samaritans, but poured their bitterest curses upon them. So strong was the antipathy between the Jews and the Samaritans that to the Samaritan woman it seemed a strange thing for Christ to ask her for a drink. How is it, she said, that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of of Samaria. For, adds the evangelist, the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. John 4, 9. And when the Jews were so filled with murderous hatred against Christ that they rose up in the temple to stone him, they would find no better words by which to express their hatred than, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and has a devil? John 8, 48. Yet the priests and Levite neglected the very work the Lord had enjoined on them leaving a hated and despised Samaritan to minister to one of their own countrymen. The Samaritan had fulfilled the command, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, thus showing that he was more righteous than those by whom he was denounced. Risking his own life, he had treated the wounded man as his brother. This Samaritan represents Christ, our Savior manifested for us a love that the love of man can never equal. When we were bruised and dying, he had pity upon us. He did not pass us by on the other side and leave us helpless and hopeless to perish. He did not remain in his holy happy home where he was beloved by all the heavenly hosts. He beheld our sore need. He undertook our case and identified his interests with those of humanity. He died to save his enemies. He prayed for his murderers, pointing to his own example. He says to his followers, These things I command you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. John fifteen seventeen and John thirteen thirty four. The priest and the Levite had been for worship to the temple, whose service was appointed by God himself. To participate in that service was a great and exalted privilege, and the priest and Levite felt that having been thus honored, it was beneath them to minister to an unknown sufferer by the wayside. Thus they neglected the special opportunity which God had offered them as his agents to bless a fellow being. Now this is really sad that they thought it was beneath them to help this man who was suffering. And sometimes we think tasks are beneath us in real life. We think that maybe doing the dishes or doing menial labor or gardening or the chores that we have to do might be beneath us. 
that we shouldn't have to subject ourselves to such things as taking out the trash. But those things are the things that bring character to our lives. Those are the things that teach us that we're not all that, that we should help people and those who are unfortunate. And sometimes people look down on helping the homeless because they smell and they don't look that clean. And But it is a great joy to see the face of those homeless people when you give them clothes and blankets and food and things that they really need. And it's an amazing feeling that you get by helping them out. I just can't describe it until you go and do it yourself. It is something that is really special and you just feel like you've done a good service to them by helping them and hopefully sharing the love of Jesus with them. And it is a wonderful thing to do. It was such a blessing that I was able to do it and it was really a great joy to be able to feed the homeless. And hopefully one day I'll be able to do it again in person. I've helped with other things, but it was really a wonderful experience and I highly encourage that you go and try and do it yourself. And she continues, many today are making a similar mistake. They separate their duties into two distinct classes. The one class is made up of great things, to be relegated by the law of God. The other class is made up of so-called little things, in which the command, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, is ignored. This fear of work is left to priests, subject to inclination or impulse. Thus, the character is marred and the religion of Christ misrepresented. There are those who would think it lowering to their dignity to minister to suffering humanity. Many look with indifference and contempt upon those who have laid the temple of the soul in ruins. Others neglect the poor from a different motive. They are working as they believe in the cause of Christ, seeking to build up some worthy enterprise. They feel that they are doing a great work, and they cannot stop to notice the wants of the needy and distress. In advancing their supposedly great work, they may even oppress the poor. They may place them in hard and trying circumstances, deprive them of their rights, or neglect their needs. Yet they feel that all this is justifiable because they are, as they think, advancing the cause of Christ. Mm, these are strong words. We definitely need to take a lesson. We need to help our fellow brethren for sure. There are many people in this world who are struggling, especially now more than ever because of COVID going around. It really knocked a lot of people down and gave them hard times. So if we have an opportunity to help, we should, whether big or small, no matter how much you can do, whether it's money or your time or things that you can give, whatever it is that you can do to help others, think of a way that you can do it. Even if it's just making a some food and giving it to a family in need or buying groceries for them or if you can crochet or knit or sew maybe make some blankets or clothes or do something that would help and be a benefit to people that only maybe you can do and just really think and ask the Lord what he would have you to do. It's really a blessing to be able to help others. She says, Many will allow a brother or a neighbor to struggle unaided under adverse circumstances. Because they profess to be Christians, he may be led to think that in their cold selfishness, they are representing Christ. Because the Lord's professed servants are not in cooperation with him, the love of God, which should flow forth from them, is in great degree cut off from their fellow men. And a large revenue of praise and thanksgiving from human hearts and human lips is prevented from flowing back to God. He is robbed of the glory due to his holy name. He is robbed of the souls for whom Christ died, souls whom he longs to bring into his kingdom to dwell in his 
presence through endless ages. And in fact, we do need to give praise and glory and honor to Christ because he deserves it. Every talent, every gift that we have is because of him. And so we should show forth our praises to him endlessly every single day. And we have to keep that in the forefront of our mind. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be able to do anything that we do. Not just our gifts and our talents, but life itself, our body itself. Everything that we have, everything that we are is due to him. And we should be very grateful for the love that he has for us, that while we are yet sinners, he died to save us. And so with that, I am going to leave it there. And we are going to come back to this for part two next week. So please stay tuned. Who is my neighbor will continue in a part two. And there's still so much more to discuss. And it is a wonderful thing that the Lord has done by teaching us in these wonderful stories that you can learn so many things from. And you can apply it to your life. Like, how can I be less like the Levite and the priest who passed by and how can I be more like the Samaritan who stopped and helped and how can I apply this to daily life and what other lessons can I learn from this parable because these parables are all so deep and some might think of different analogies than others and some might apply it differently and might think of different aspects to the story that others haven't really thought about so it's really fun to think about these stories in depth and to really kind of imagine it all out for yourself. And so with that, I want to sing this song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I pray that it is a blessing to you. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, song by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of God's redeeming love. Here I find my greatest treasure, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus saw me when a stranger wandering from the He to rescue me from danger, bought me with his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And we 
can have these blessings. We can have this mercy. And the Lord has sought us as a stranger. And he wants us to enter into his fold so that we can then bring others into the fold. And we, unfortunately, are prone to wander. But the Lord does not leave us hopeless. He comes after us. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to share the good news with others. And so we should have him take our hearts so that we will be forever sealed in the courts above. And it is a day by day, moment by moment, work in progress. It's a, the work of sanctification. So remember what it says in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So with all of this being said, let your light so shine so that you are a star witness for the Lord.